glad to see a lot of the ones who've been sick back. I missed y'all. Um, I do want to read this. I'm, I'm really encouraged by this um, text that Dale uh, Byron sent me. And he wanted me to read this to y'all. He said, I love being with you all today. One of the greatest single outpourings of generosity I've ever experienced. Now, he put up in Bible class, the last thing that he talked about was a van that the Philippine congregation needed to help travel and do the things that they needed to do. Um, and he said he was $5,000 short. And one of the encouraging things that I got from him was he said, the Lord will provide. I mean, he was confident in what he said. And uh, he said that <clears throat> he wanted me to announce uh, to the congregation that $7,344 was contributed today. I mean, amen, brethren. We did that. And one day we gave to help this congregation be able to go spread the gospel. I say amen to that, right? I mean, we actually gave to help this congregation in the Philippines be able to uh, do what they need to do to be successful. He says, whatever's left over from the purchase, they will place in a special account for repairs and insurance, give the congregation our love and thanks. We can just, he said, just read this text to them. Uh, thank you and God bless. Um, I'm really, I'm going to turn this off in case I start getting text up here. I don't want to upset, I mean, bother y'all. Not upset. <clears throat> but, I mean, that's really, really something to be, uh, thankful for and, and you know when you uh, go to the Lord in prayer just know that we did that we helped we were a part of something that is changing uh, hopefully the Philippine people uh, for the truth um, tonight Mike gave an announcement that uh, I was going to try and start a series and I want to start this series and it's kind of a weird name a weird title but I hope that it sticks. Um, that's kind of why I picked this weird title. Because I want it to stick with us. And I want to uh, look at some schemes that Satan puts in front of us. Some schemes that he, he shoots in our path and puts in our path. And I want us to seriously take a look at them and see how we can beat them. Uh, you know, Satan, he wants to do whatever he can to spiritually make us weak and sick. He wants to really, if he can, kill our faith completely, if he can. Amen? Uh, so the title of this series is Keeping Our Christian Walk Non-Toxic. Sounds weird, right? Toxic. Now when you think about the word toxic, that's really a word that gets our attention. Uh, the word means having a, a chemical nature that is harmful to health or lethal 
if consumed or otherwise entering into the body in significant quantities. Something that is toxic, if you put it in your system, it either makes you really sick or it kills you. Some examples of toxic chemicals, mercury, snake venom, arsenic, petroleum, hydrogen sulfide, and chlorine gas. And I've actually uh, smelled, one time we had a five-gallon bucket full of chlorine tablets at my house when I was probably in the fifth grade, and my dad told me, okay, go get a tablet out of the bucket and put it in the floater, but do not smell in the bucket. And I said, okay, went out there, opened the bucket, and what did I immediately do? Took a big old whiff of that chlorine, and I could not catch my breath. It absolutely took my breath away, and I was in a state of panic for I don't know how long. I never thought I was going to be able to catch my breath. Never went by that bucket again. I told him I'd do something else. I didn't really want to do the chlorine tablet deal anymore. But I put it in my body and it hurt me. It caused me to uh, be weak. Uh, So what do we do usually to avoid these chemicals? This is kind of a setup lesson, and then we'll get into the lesson. I won't do this next week, but I do want to establish what I'm trying to talk about. Um, what do we do when, uh, to avoid these chemicals? Well, we put warnings on the bottles, right? We put warnings with the skull, with the, cro- with the bones X'd. Uh, we give these uh, uh, warnings on how to keep us from harming ourselves by putting it in our mouth and the things that it could do to you. So what I want to do is the same spiritually speaking. I want to uh, put these warnings in our minds so that when we come in contact with these toxic things that I'd like to talk about, that we can avoid them or we can fight them or we can be prepared when they come into our lives. So tonight I want to begin to talk about this fiery dart that Satan loves to shoot at us Christians and it's called fear. Everybody, Anybody in here ever been scared? Now the Bible talks to us about having a fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1.7, and we talked about this a little bit in Wednesday night class. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're supposed to have a fear of the Almighty, amen? Because when we have that fear of the Lord, we understand what He could do to us if He really wanted to. If He really wanted to do something to us, He could do it. Hebrews 10.31 It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's a scary verse. That is a scary verse to think about. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But I'm not talking about that type of fear tonight. 
Does that play a little bit into it? Yes, but that's not my angle that I'm wanting to go. I want us to consider the fear that Paul wrote about in 2 Timothy 1.7. When he was encouraging uh, Timothy, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So many times in our lives, fear gets the best of us. Fear of what? Fear of acceptance. Fear of job security. Fear of being made fun of. Fear of failure. Fear of public speaking. Luke said that was the number one thing. Public speaking. Fear of telling someone the gospel. Fear of dying lost. Fear of doing something wrong. Fear of messing something up. Heard the other day a brother in Christ, he said, man, I'm just afraid that I'm going to mess something up. Fear of making somebody mad. On and on we could go talking about the ways fear attacks us. Fear can be a powerful tool that Satan uses in our lives if not dealt with properly. Amen? If our Christian walk is not guarded to this fear toxin that could come into us, we could become sick spiritually. And even more dangerous than that, it could kill us. So how does fear become toxic in our lives? Just consider these real quick. Fear hurts our confidence. When you become scared, no matter what it is, you lose your confidence. And th I'm thinking of this in a sports uh, thought. You know, I remember uh, warming up in a game, in a football game. I remember one, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, that comes to mind. Uh, we all warmed up, and at, at, as we were warming up, the other team walked to the 50-yard line, and I may have told this story before, but they lined up on the 50-yard line and looked at us and started talking and taunting and yelling and doing all kinds of things to scare us. And guess what happened? We all got scared. We got scared to the point where we couldn't play the game. We were in fear. They seemed better and faster. They warmed up. Uh, different than we did. They had a little bit more pep in their step and, and because of that, we lost the game. We lost confidence. Same thing spiritually. When whatever trial we're facing in, in life comes up, it seems bigger than we thought, you know, like, like you, you try to deal with it and then it's just too much. Like you try to deal with the situation and it just overpowers you. We start to develop fear in our life. We begin to doubt ourselves. And we lose confidence in our abilities to handle the situation. Right? What else does fear do to us? Fear hurts our perspective. Perspective is an outlook or a view or a point of view. It's a position that you take or a stance that you take. It's your attitude or your frame of mind. 
when you become fearful on how to handle a situation or how to deal with it, what happens is the problem continues to grow and you lose your Christian outlook on life if you're not careful. You may be excited about being a Christian. Then you start dealing with this problem. And then you can't fix it. And so then it starts to grow and it starts to become more of a situation and your perspective changes. And you say, maybe being a Christian isn't really what I need to be doing. It doesn't seem to be working for me. You start doubting what you're doing and thinking, does it really help at all? You go from being pumped up about Jesus, maybe, to wondering if He's even there. Fear also hurts our spirituality. When people become fearful, who knows what they'll do? Think about being chased by a bear. If I'm getting chased by a bear, I'll do whatever I got to do to what? Not get eaten by the bear. I don't care what I do. I'll throw trash cans. I'll throw people. Sorry, Aaron. Uh, anybody. If you buy me and a bear's coming, I'll throw you under the bus. All right? No, I'm just kidding. I hope I wouldn't do that. I might, though. But fear... As it begins to become toxic in your life, it makes you think less and less spiritually and you start doing anything, no matter what it is, to fix the situation, right? Fear also hurts our understanding. Fear hurts our confidence, our perspective, our spirituality, and it hurts our understanding. What understanding? The understanding that God would allow me to be in this situation, it's probably because He just doesn't care about me, right? So, obviously, there's either no God or the God that I've been following is the one who doesn't really care about His children, like He said. So being fearful has moved you so far from God's Word that you begin to try and solve this fear situation by yourself. See how Satan does it? He isolates you so much so then you try to fix it and we can't do it by ourselves, can we? We can't fix the problems by ourselves. So if we want to make our Christian walk stronger and ready for the attack of fear in our life, we have to be prepared for it. Because when fear comes in our lives, it is hard to get rid of. And it affects work because it works in our lives everywhere. Think about it. In evangelism. It, it, it affects us if we're going to take a test in school sometimes. It can affect us when we're going for a job interview. It can affect us when we confront that person at work that's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. It affects us when we face an operation or a treatment. It affects us when we lose a spouse or a close friend. What we have to keep in mind at all times, though, is that the Lord wants us to know he is with us. 
in any situation, even the scariest of situations. But it doesn't happen unless we really and truly want it to. Amen? The only way this is made possible is by resting on what His Word tells us and shows us how to fix this Satan tactic called fear. If you would, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 41. That was a very long intro. But I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 41. I'm really excited to look at these uh, scriptures because I want you to be able to use this to attack fear. Isaiah chapter 41, and I want to start in verse 10, and I kind of, and then we're going to go back and look at the other verses leading up to 10, and we'll look at 11, 12, and 13. But I want to start here. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my mighty, righteous right hand. God's word in the context is talking to the Israelites and giving them assurance. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Bible tells us the key to keeping fear from entering our lives comes from this verse. So what I'm having to do is put a lot of faith in this guy who's saying this, right? I'm having to put my faith and my trust in this God who's saying I'm with you. That He's with me. He'll strengthen me. That He'll help me. He'll uphold me. He says, don't be dismayed or disheartened. He's telling the Israelites that in this context, but as we'll see, He's talking to us also. You know, when you go, uh, when you're scared, when you're scared of something, you want to always go to that one person that will absolutely give you the most comfort, right? Right? Example, Libby, when she's scared beyond anything, and I love this. I don't know how I got this, but I guess because I'm the dad. But whenever she's the most scared, who does she run to? Me. She runs to me over anybody else, and she knows that dad's going to give her the most comfort. In the preceding verses, verses 1 through 9, we get a glimpse of just who this God that says this is. The God who, if we allow Him to and allow His Word to work through our hearts, we will understand gives us absolute comfort also. He says, fear not, for I am with you. I want us to put in our minds the way that we fight fear when it comes into our lives. Let's read Isaiah 41 verse 1. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, 
And let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. We see here the Lord calling all the coastlands, a lot of prophetic talk, and all the people renew their strength and speak before Him to judgment. What is this a picture of? The God that we belong to, the God that says fear not, is to judge all. Think about that. He calls all the nations to give an account one day. Every man will stand before Him and will give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So here's the key. He's the judge. He's the one they have to come to and receive judgment from just like us. Not the other way around. He's not called to give an account. He's not on trial. They are. We are. One day we will all face the courtroom of the Lord, figuratively speaking. He's the one who will pass the sentence on everyone. That's the God who is with you to strengthen you. The judge. Look at verses 2 and 3. Who raised up one from the east, who in righteousness called him to his feet, who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings, who gave them as the dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow, who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Now in the context we have God raising up a king and leading him in conquest and delivering up nations before him. Just a few verses back in Isaiah chapter 39 we see Isaiah talking to Hezekiah and Babylon is, uh, look with me real quick, Uh, Isaiah chapter 39 verse 5. It says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Of hosts, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. So here, back in Isaiah 41, what the Lord is doing is giving comfort to the nation of Israel. He's telling them that He is the ruler of rulers. And we know that in Romans 13, 1 and 2, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's the God who said He will help you. Let me set this up and I'll pull it all together, I promise. Our God, the one we put our faith in, is not only the supreme judge over everything, He is the ruler of rulers. You want absolute comfort? 
that would be somebody that I would think is pretty powerful. I would think that that's somebody who could scare anybody away if he wanted to. And that's the God who said, Fear not, for I am with you. Think about that. When we begin to struggle with fear in our lives, do we realize who says he's with us? Look at Isaiah 41, verse 4. Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. This is a great... I love this uh, verse right here. God is the one who called the nations into being. Called the generations from the beginning. Then he says, I, the Lord, am the first. And with the last, I am he. God is the first. And I love this quote when I was looking at this from one of the commentaries. It says, God is the reality before all other reality. God is the reality. It took me a minute to get this, so I may just say it a couple of times. Uh, y'all probably will get it, but I need to get it so I can help explain it, okay? Uh, just bear with me. God is the reality before all other reality and which all other reality depends. God has always been and will always be. I want us to think about the Hebrew word right here where it says, I, the Lord. The Hebrew word right there is Jehovah. Very interesting word, really. The word Jehovah in Hebrew means self-existent, purely self-determined. Nobody made him. He always was and he always will be. You know, back in the Old Testament times and even probably going into the New Testament times, when scribes would write the word Jehovah, they were scared to misspell it. There was something about that name. And brethren, here's the deal. When we're scared, when we're living in fear and we don't use this guy for our help, we'll continue to struggle. And we're missing the point of who he is. The judge, the ruler, the self-existent one, this big, 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 huge God cares about me. And cares about you. That's the God who in Isaiah 41.10 says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So we see these, these nations realizing who God is and instead of changing and finding out uh, how to be found right in His eyes, they begin to join forces. Look at verses 5 and 7. The coastlands saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor, and he said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. 
He who smooths with the hammer inspired him, who strikes the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldiering. Then he fastened it with pegs, that it might not totter. Now skip down to verse 11. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. I will hold your right hand. And I love what verse 12 says. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. Think about this spiritually. Think about fear. Think about that thing. God says, I'll hold your right hand. I will make it as a non-existent thing. Isn't that encouraging? But I love what verse 8 and what verse 9 tell us. Why is he telling them these things? Why is he showing them this assurance that he's going to be there? Look at what he says in verse 8. But you, O Israel are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. But you... O Israel, are my servant. I've chosen you, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. I've chosen you and I've not cast you away. The Lord was with His people. And He says that He will not cast them away. They had the choice to either accept it and do it, or not. Same with us, brethren. We have the ability to say, you know what? I'm going to do what God wants me to do and therefore be successful in beating these situations that come to us. But here's the, here's the blessing. We have to realize who we are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 27 and 29 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise we go back all the way to this. We go all the way back and we are connected with these Israelites. 
do you have to be an Israelite to be saved? Are Jews going to make it if they obey the gospel? We understand that, but what I'm saying right here is when we think about this, what's so comforting about this is Christ allowed us to be a part of the family of God. And if descendants of Abraham... then we belong to this verse. Fear not, for I am with you. Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe what it says? Do we believe that if we hear it, we can apply it and it'll help us be successful in our lives? That's the question that you have to put into your mind and apply to your life. But I think about Ephesians 1.4 where it says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. He has called us out of darkness and death through the gospel. And He took us for Himself to be His. This big God, the ruler, the judge... the self-existent one, to make himself our God. Man. And let me close with this. The God who judges all, the God who rules the rulers, the God who called every nation into being, the God who said, he is the first and the last. You remember Jesus in Revelation twenty-two thirteen. He said, I'm the what? The Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. And I'm the first and the last. The God who says His people are mine. And He makes Himself their God graciously. That God who we believe in, says, Fear not, for I am your God. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I will strengthen you. Fear not, I will help you. Fear not, I will uphold you. I thought this was really cool thinking about this. When you think about those five things, you think about when he says, I am your God, he's over you, right? When he says, I'm with you, he's by your side, right? He says, I, I will strengthen you, he'll strengthen you from the inside, right? I will help you, he's all around you wherever the enemy tries to attack, right? And I will uphold you from underneath you, over, by you, inside you, around you, underneath you. The Lord is all around you. As we leave and consider the Satan scheme called fear, know this, God is greater than your personality. God is greater than your past. God is greater than anything you will ever go through in life. Jesus in 
John 14, 1 said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Hebrews 13, 5-6 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. You know, when I, when I think about that John verse, this is immediately why I went to Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. When I heard what Jesus told me, and He says, don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm doing that for you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 becomes very powerful to me. Because it says, let, not, let your conduct be with, without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, boldly, brethren, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can he do to me? Nothing. I don't care if you kill me. I don't care if you stab me. I don't care if you... Whatever it is, you lie on me. Jesus told me to not be troubled. And therefore, I'm going to use God's word to understand that I got a God that is with me. Why should we have no fear? Because the Lord is with us. What can man do to me? You know, it brings out that verse even better, what Paul told Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. But of power. Use the power, brethren. Use God's word to help us fight this toxin, fear, Let's keep our Christian walk non-toxic. I love you all. I hope you have a great week, brethren. I'm so encouraged by the giving this morning. What an encouraging thing to know that we care about the mission. I mean, that proves it right there. That's, that's big money. That's big. I mean, I, I love it. Makes me excited. Makes me want to go preach the gospel. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to obey the gospel. That's what it's all about. Maybe you're here and you need to become a child of God. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. If you need to be saved, if you need to repent, go out and be strong and courageous, brethren. But if you need something, whatever it is, come right now together we stand and sing.